Have you ever had a uh, time in your life where you greatly underestimated the impact that something was going to have on the world, or even in your own personal life? There's been a couple of examples from history here in America. Many people, and I mean many people, said, we don't want this newfangled car thing. We're keeping our horse and buggy. Why would we ever need something else but the horse and the buggy? Well, they didn't understand the impact that the automobile was going to have. Or some of you remember, remember when the internet came out? And people were like, why would you ever need the internet in your home? They greatly underestimated. Maybe even some of you said that. Why would you ever need something like that at home? That's like for businesses to use, not for people like us. Or maybe it was something like this. Back in 2016, somebody came to you and they said, you know, you should really invest some money in this company called Tesla. And you're like, electric automobiles, that's never going to amount to anything. Of course, now you look at it and your money would have you know, just exploded. Or for me personally, 2016, it was I was owed a, a large amount of money. And so I was paid with 42 Bitcoin. And so I got the 42 Bitcoin. Of course, Bitcoin was still a newer technology at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm just cashing it out. I'm you know, just getting the money into my bank as soon as possible because I don't think this Bitcoin will ever go anywhere. It's never going to be an investment that somebody would ever want to hold on to. And of course, if I was still holding on to those 42 Bitcoin as of this morning, that'd be $1.2 million. But anyway, you know, who's counting, right? Uh, but what I'm saying is we oftentimes we greatly underestimate the impact that something is going to have in life. And the reason I'm sharing it is we're wrapping up our series today called Bridge Builders, where we've been looking at how there's like great value in inviting our friends to our Easter experience and sharing our faith with other people. But I think that so often we underestimate the value and the impact that just one single invite can have in somebody's life. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at a story in Scripture that talks about the power of an invite. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to hang out today. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us right now in the upper right-hand corner of your screen there. There's a little button called Talk Notes. If you just push that, that's going to take you to all the Scriptures we're going to look at today as well as all the points I'll be making. Same thing for those of you live in the room. Welcome to you. If you go to our website, exponential.church, you're able to get the talk notes there, get all the scriptures, all the points as well. In the story in Acts chapter 9 that we're going to look at, two men, they're going to meet one another. And one of the men is going to give an invite to the other man. And there is going to be a massive, massive impact out of this. In fact, you and I would not be here today in a church building if it wasn't for this encounter that these two men had with one another. Now, one of the guys in the story is going to be the Apostle Paul. How many heard of the Apostle Paul before? To me, probably the most famous and best Christian that's ever, ever lived. Here's Paul. He's led thousands and thousands of people in a relationship with Jesus. Paul plants dozens and dozens of churches throughout the then known world. It's Paul who writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. But what we often forget is he wasn't always Paul. Before he was Paul, he was a man by the name of Saul. And Saul wasn't a proponent of Christianity. He was actually the biggest opponent of Christianity. Saul was persecuting the Christians. Saul was murdering the Christians. He didn't like the Christians. He despised the Christians. And so he wasn't always Paul. He starts out 
as Saul. In fact, when we get here to Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria, and he's going there to persecute the Christians. That's where we'll pick up the story. Acts 9, verses 3 to 4. When Saul had almost reached Damascus, a bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's in this moment that Saul realizes he's not just persecuting the Christians, he's actually persecuting Jesus. And when he stands back up to his feet, he's completely blind. He can't see a thing. And so his companions, they lead him into the city of Damascus. And Saul is so confused, he can't see anything. He has doubts about what is my future going to be like if I, if I can't see. He's wondering, what do I do next? Well, what's going to be next for him is an invitation to join Jesus' team. But you can't get an invitation unless somebody comes along to do the inviting, right? Somebody's going to have to invite him. And before I share with you who that somebody is, let me make a couple of points because, you know, we've been doing this series called Bridge Builders, but we've been talking about Easter's coming up. Just next Sunday is Easter. And you need to be inviting people to come in and be a part of what it is that we're doing right here at Exponential. So let me remind you of a couple things that are happening in the hearts and the lives of the people that you're going to be inviting. Number one there on your outline, and we learned this from this story we saw here with Saul, but number one is that God is already at work in the lives of those he wants me to invite. Saul is about to get an invitation. But God's already been working. Somebody else is going to give the invitation, but God's already working in his heart, already working in his life. And it's the same for you. The people that you're called to go out and to build a bridge for, to help them get connected to God. God's already working. You're not starting from scratch. All you're doing is you're coming along and you're being that last little piece of connection in that bridge. God's already working in their lives. Number two, when someone is hurting, their heart will be more open to my invitation. You know, life throws many, many challenges at people. For Saul, it was blindness. He's questioning everything he's ever believed. He doesn't know what his future holds. And oftentimes that's going to be the case in the people that you're inviting. You know, maybe it's been a, a death in the family. It's a, a job loss. Maybe they just got diagnosed with cancer. They're going through a divorce. People's hearts are more open because, you know, life was going good. But now all of a sudden they're questioning, wait, why is this happening to me? What's going on? And they start to seek, is there a spiritual answer? Is there a spiritual solution to what it is that's been happening? And that's what's going on with, with Saul here. Everything that he knows about his world is changing. And so he's open to this message that's about to be preached to him and given to him, this invitation that he's about to get to be a part of God's team. But again, for an invitation to come, somebody has to give the invitation. Which brings us to the second person in the story. This man's name is Ananias. Now, we don't know a lot about Ananias. We know he lived there in Damascus. We know he's respected in his community, and we know that at some point along the way, Ananias had become a follower of Jesus. Continue on then in verses 10 to 12. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, 
He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now today what I want to do is I want to look at five different things we can learn from what Ananias is going to do from based on what we just saw there and future things we're going to read here in Acts chapter 9. So five things that you can learn as you continue to invite people to join us next week for Easter. So the first thing is this. Number one, God will give me clear, detailed, and challenging instructions on who it is that he wants me to invite. Notice here that Ananias is told who he's supposed to speak to, where he's supposed to go, and what exactly it's, he is, he's supposed to do, and what it is he's supposed to say. These instructions from God were not vague at all. And what I want to say to you is throughout this entire series, I've been sharing with you that God's instructions to you are not vague. He has called you to be a bridge builder. He's called you to be an ambassador. He's called you to bring a ministry of reconciliation to people. That's not being vague at all. The problem is what we often do is we take God's very clear instructions to us to you and to you and to you and to you and to you watching online, we take those very clear instructions and we go, yes, that's what we are supposed to do. So God says, you are to do it. And you go, yep, we should probably do that. So God says, you, 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 you are my ambassador. You are to bring a ministry of reconciliation. You are to be a bridge builder. Yep, we should do that. And that's Gilbert's job. Or yes, we as Exponential Church, we should do that. And I really hope somebody does because I don't have time for that. I've got a job. I've got things with my kids. I've got this hobby. I've got this, that, and the other. So I hope everybody else in the church does that, but I'm not going to do it. But again, God gives very clear, detailed instructions to each and every one of us. There are people that he has called you to reach. You're going, Gilbert, I've never heard that. You know, God hasn't spoken that to me. Who is it that I'm supposed to reach? You know, Paul, later on in Acts 17, he has a, a, a sermon that he's preaching to the people in Athens. And he, in that sermon, he talks about that God has placed every single one of us on the planet at the very time in history that it was perfect for us and that God has placed us in the location where we are born, and where we live, and what we do. And it's very specific, and that it's there for a reason. In other words, you were born in the United States in the 20th century. I think everybody was, maybe Zach wasn't, maybe you're a 21st century baby, but uh, everybody else, um, you were born in the 20th century. Why? Because God said that's the exact time and the place that they need to be, number one, so that they come to know me, and number two, so that they can make a difference for me. And so what I'm saying to you is, you were born into the family that you were born in, in the place that you were born, for a reason. You're in the job that you're in. You're in the state. I see Travis is visiting us today. Travis had to move from here in Harrisburg out to Michigan. Why? Not because that was his bright idea, but God in his planning of all of human history said, Travis, I need your family to move out there because there's people out there that need to hear about Jesus that you can't reach if you're still living here. Travis, you have new friends, new neighbors, new people there, right? 
There's a reason that God moved them there. And there's a reason you live in your neighborhood. There's a reason that you work at your workplace right now. Some of you hate your job, and God's going, I'm not going to give you a new job until you reach the people that I've called you to reach right there where you're at. So don't give me this stuff of, well, God hasn't told me who I'm supposed to reach. He's given you a family. He's given you friends. He's given you coworkers. He's given you neighbors. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. What is your job? It's to be a bridge builder. To make disciples. I decided to wear this shirt here today. Singular is the organization down in Costa Rica that we're primarily partnering with. And they're called singular because it's a reminder that we have one singular thing that we are called to do here on this planet, and that is make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. One thing you're called to do in life, not to get a better house, a better job, a better you know, car, whatever. None of that. One singular thing, make disciples who make disciples. And that's not my job. It's not Exponential's job. It's our job because you are Exponential. You have been given this call to reach people. And so Ananias gets this very, very clear call. Number two. Obeying God's command to be a bridge builder will often take me out of my comfort zone. Anything for Ananias here. He knows who Saul is. That he's a murderer of Christians. But yet, God says, I want you to do something that's going to be out of your comfort zone. Go talk to Saul, this murderer of people that are exactly like you are, Ananias, a follower of mine. And so we read then in verses 13 and 14, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who worships your name. So you can hear the fear and the apprehension, right? He doesn't want to do this. And in fear and apprehension in a case like this, this would be normal. And then Ananias does something that you and I, we, we've done it before as well. We decide to fill God in on the details. Tell God things that God already knows. He's like, God, there are bad people in this world, and then there are really bad people in this world, and Saul is one of those really bad guys. I don't know if you know that God, but he is one of the really, really bad guys. And, and God, he has come here to kill us. Maybe you didn't know that God, but he's here to kill us. If not kill us, he's at least going to arrest us and persecute us. God, are you sure this is the person you would want me to go to? God, are you sure you know what it is you're talking about here? You see, the problem is Ananias can't see past Saul's past. All he can focus on is Saul's past, whereas God can see Saul's future. Let me put it to you another way. Ananias can only see Saul, whereas God can see Paul. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. You understand what I'm saying? Ananias can only see Saul. 
God can see Paul. And we have got to be very, very careful about that in our lives. Your neighbors, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, don't just see the Saul in them. Start to see them through God's eyes. Start to see the Paul in them. Somebody that God wants to use to do amazing things here on this planet for His kingdom and for His glory. So don't worry about the Saul that's in them. And, and here's the deal. God isn't asking any of you to invite somebody next week to Easter that's going to kill you. Right? Let's just be honest about that. We don't even have to go as far as Ananias was doing here. And so you're not going to die asking somebody to come to church with you next week. See the Paul in other people. Share your faith. Invite people. Even if it brings some fear and doubt into your life. It doesn't mean that the, the fear isn't real. It doesn't mean that you still don't have those questions of, what do I say and what do I do and how do I respond? That type of thing. And here's what I put on your outline as a reminder. Fear is not a house to live in, but rather a doorway to walk through. And fear is not a house to live in. It's a doorway to walk through. Some amount of fear is always normal, but we can't let that stop us. That's what we read then in verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God reminds Ananias here, look, you are not my HR department. You know what HR departments do, right? They screen potential employees. Do they have the right skills? Do they have the right experiences? Do they have the right personality to fit into our company? That's what Allison does for a living. She's screening people. And that's fine when it comes to a job, but not when it comes to God's kingdom. You are not God's HR department to say, well, God, I don't really think this person would be a good fit for your team. That's not your job. He wants all to come to him. He wants all to be used for his glory. Your job is simply to invite people onto the team. It's his job then to change them and make them into his instrument of blessing. In fact, notice the personal pronouns that God uses here. He's like, Ananias, it's not about you and what you want to do. God says this, he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. I will show him. And so God has a plan for Saul. And he tells Ananias that. Look, I, I'm going to use him to reach people that, Ananias, you could never, ever reach. I know things that you don't know. And so you do your part and trust me then to do my part. Ananias hears that message then loud and clear. And despite his fears, we read this then in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to the third point then. My welcome is more important 
than my words. Again, my welcome is more important than my words. Now, you're going, Gilbert, what in the world does that mean that my welcome is more important than my words? Well, let me explain it to you this way. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and they say to me, now, don't take this the wrong way, but, or, you, you know, I, I've got something I, I need to share with you in love. You ever had somebody do that one with you, right? Or, you know, you better sit down for this one here. I mean, there's a lot of ways that people welcome us in conversations. You know, no offense, but, or here's my personal favorite. Can I be honest with you? It's like, wait a second, have you not been honest with me up to this point? You know, what, what's going on here? And so how somebody starts a conversation often dictates not only how the remainder of that conversation is going to go, but then what the future of the relationship with that person is going to look like as well. So your welcome is more important than your words. And so what did Ananias do here when he got to Saul? Did he preach a sermon to him? No. Did he share the, the plan of salvation with him? No. Did he start to quote some scriptures to him? Nope, didn't do that either. What he does is actually pretty profound. Because remember, Saul had come into the city in order to persecute the Christians, to kill the Christians. And Ananias knows this. And now Ananias is going to him with a little bit of fear. But now when Ananias gets there, now it's Saul. He, he's blind. Now he's the one that should have a little bit of fear of, oh my goodness, I've been persecuting the Christians. God has struck me blind. And now this strange man is showing up to the house here. What's going to happen to me? But I want to read again to you, verse 17. Look at it again. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said what? He said two words there. What did he say? Brother Saul. He calls him his brother. This man who he, just a little bit ago, he was deathly afraid of this guy. That this guy, guy Saul, may try to kill me. But now he's heard clearly from God that, no, 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 this guy is my chosen instrument to make a difference in the world. And Ananias realizes that, oh my goodness, Saul is now going to be a part of Team Jesus. And so he welcomes them with these words, Brother Saul, you are our brother. We forgive you. You're a part of our family now. God's going to use you. And he doesn't just call him brother either. He actually calls him by his name. When you use somebody's name, that means something to people. So he says, brother Saul. Despite our differences in the past, we're now a part of the same team. Again, he knows him as Saul. He doesn't yet know that he's going to become Paul. We know the story. We know the end of the story. Ananias doesn't. He just trusts God in that moment. 
And he goes and he gives the invitation to come and be a part of our team. He says, Brother Saul. Which leads to the fourth point. That I can invite people to belong before they believe. Now it can happen both ways. But historically, Christians have always said, look, here's what you need to do. You need to believe what we believe first. And you need to change everything about you. Then you can come in and belong to a church like ours. Now again, sometimes that's the way it happens. That First of all, somebody believes, then they belong to a church. But I think more times than not, we see both from Scripture and now just even more and more what a part of our society is, is that we need to invite people to come and belong to us and be a part of us. And then, perhaps they'll start to believe. Have you ever noticed that we don't have membership here at Exponential? Have you ever wondered about that? That's part of the reason why. Because that would create an us versus them type of mentality. That, oh, some of us are the members of Exponential. No, we just want you to come in and be a part of the Exponential family. And we don't care what you look like. We don't care how you talk, what, how you dress, your beliefs, how you vote. You know, any of that. We don't care about any of that stuff. Come in and be a part of us. Now, does that mean that we necessarily agree with the way that they talk or what they're doing or what they're thinking or how they're acting? No, sometimes we, we don't. But we're saying, come in and be a part. And then as they're here, we're going to trust that Jesus is going to change them. Ananias went and gave the invitation. It wasn't his job to change Saul into Paul, that's still the work of the Holy Spirit to do that, to transform people. That's called sanctification. That just because we're saved, just because we believe, we've gotten that get out of hell free card, so to speak. That doesn't mean we look like Jesus now. That's what the rest of our lives is for, that every day we become a little bit more like Jesus. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to help bring people to Jesus and then help them to become like Jesus. And we're just that bridge builder, helping to connect a couple of the gaps in there. And so again, invite people in to be a part of us and then pray that Jesus convicts them of their sin and that they pray for his forgiveness and they ask for his leadership, and that he does change them in the who he wants them to be, that they go from being a Saul into a Paul. Now, everything that I've shared with you so far is very, very important, the first four points. But the fifth one is actually the most important. Here it is. My evangelistic impact will be determined by one single word, obedience. Obedience. Throughout this series, we've talked about being his ambassador, being a minister, or that we all have a ministry of reconciliation, that we're to be a, a bridge builder. And that is not optional. All of us are called to that. That is why you are here on the earth. You want to know what your purpose is here on the earth? That's it, to be a bridge builder. Help people come to know Jesus, help people to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Again, not optional. 
But with all that said, your greatest tool that you have in sharing your faith isn't a memorized gospel presentation. It's not little tracts that you hand out to other people. It's not being the smartest biblical scholar. It's not that you're able to answer every single question. The greatest evangelistic tool that you have, the greatest discipleship tool that you have is obedience. Obedience, just obey God. And if you open up your mouth, God will give you the words. Ananias had his doubts. He wasn't sure if he was up to the task, but at the end of the day, he was obedient and God gave him the words. And little did he know in that moment the fruit of what would happen because he simply gave an invitation to Saul to come and be a part of our team. He didn't know the impact that Saul was going to end up having on the entire world. Again, you and I would not be sitting here in a church today if Ananias had not invited Saul, because it was Saul who becomes Paul, who takes it to all the then-known world, to other cultures and other languages, other people groups. Eventually, that trickles down to us. I shared the story with you last week of Lisa. Remember where her evangelistic gift is? Is her evangelistic gift way up here? No. Where's her evangelistic gift? I mean, I got to jump down off the stage to get as low as where her evangelistic gift is. She is not an evangelist at all. But what did she do? She was obedient. That I may not have this gift, but I'm still called to make disciples. And how did she do it? With a fancy gospel presentation to me? No. What was it? One single question. Hey, do you go to church? And that one question is what led me ultimately to Jesus. So little did she know that one question would lead me to becoming a follower of Jesus. Little did she know that that one question wouldn't just lead me to being a follower of Jesus, but one day being a pastor in Jesus' church. And not just a pastor then, but then a pastor that's gone all around the world to train over 30,000 other pastors. It all started with one simple act of obedience. One single act of obedience. What I'm saying to you is your evangelistic gifting can't possibly be any lower than Lisa's. Your neighbors, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, who is it that you need to invite to join us next week for Easter? I know throughout this series, we've been doing this for three weeks now, Names have been popping into your mind. The Spirit has been giving you names. Here's the question now. Are you going to be obedient or not? Are you going to be simply obedient to say, hey, would you join me next week for Easter at my church? Love to have you. That's it. I didn't say anything about answering questions, presenting the gospel. Will you be obedient to invite people next week for Easter, those of you online inviting people for our Hagerstown campus into Mike's home. Others of you invite people here. Others of you invite people into your home to watch us online. Will you just simply be obedient? Will it be scary? Will you have some fear and doubts as you do it? Yes, that's what happened with Ananias. But yet he was obedient, and look at the fruit of what happened. See, I... 
I want you to have the experience that I talked about last week, which is that someday, whether it's here on this planet or in the life to come, people come up to you and they go, man, I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus if it wasn't for you. You invited me, or you invited my family member, or you invited my great, 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 great grandmother on Easter Sunday of 2023. And here we are in heaven, thousands of years later, and I finally found you amongst all these all these people. There you are, I found you. But it's you that started that legacy of Christianity in my family, and it trickled down to me many, many hundreds of years later. And I'm a follower because of you being obedient. And don't you want that for your life? Don't you want that to be a part of your legacy? It's easy, just be a bridge builder. And so I'll wrap up the series and today's message, something I shared with you the other week. I want you to always remember this. This needs to be a value, a strong value for all of us. And it's simply this, that Jesus' final command must always be our first priority. Let me say that again. Jesus' final command must always be our first priority. What was that final command? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And I love that in the Great Commission that Jesus ends it by saying, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So we're not doing it alone. We're not doing it in our power. We're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit who changed us. Now we're just giving that same invite to other people. So let's go out. Let's make a difference for him, for his kingdom, and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these past three weeks as we've looked at examples of people throughout Scripture, uh, the disciples, and even Jesus, your example of how you invited people in. And now today, Ananias inviting Saul in. And Lord, what we want more than anything is to see the, the people in our lives that are Saul's right now, our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, those that don't yet know you, those that are greatly opposed to Christianity. We want to see those people become Paul's. Lord, we know that you use people like us because we were once Saul's. You use people like us to build that bridge between you and them. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. Even little simple acts of obedience, just like inviting somebody to attend Easter worship experience next week. Father, give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to do that. Right now, again, I know your spirit is putting names of people into our minds. Even as I'm praying this, I've got names coming into my mind that I need to be obedient this week to inviting to be here, to be a part of what we're doing. Lord, I know I'm going to be obedient, and I pray that everybody here, everybody online is obedient as well. Not so that we fill this building, but Lord, so that your kingdom may be filled so that we can depopulate hell by just a little bit. So Lord, use us to be your ambassadors this week and throughout the rest of our lives to share the good news of who it is that you are and what it is that you did for us on the cross. Lord, as we contemplate this entire week, of this holy week, help us to be reminded that the cross is so powerful, and there, there's power in your shed blood, but even more so, there's power in the resurrection. 
That's why we have hope. Because yes, you died. The proof then that you were truly God is that you rose again from the dead. Help us to share that hope that lives inside of us with as many people as we possibly can. But as your word says, help us to do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Help that be our attitude as we go out and we make your final command our first priority. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.